G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. Good day, everyone. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast. Uh, this is the Round 14 Preview Edition. As we move into Footy Fest or Footy Fiesta or Footy Frenzy or whichever version of that you like, Mark Two, are we all going to survive it? Personally, I've got my doubts. Uh, hopefully everyone else out there will, though, uh, uh, including this man, my Footyology podcast co-host, Mark Fine. How are you going, Finey? I'm going well, surviving this. Is it still a dystopian present? God, stop it. <laughs> I never want to hear that word again, seriously. Have Fox Footy stopped that promo? I can't stand it. Now, they've got a new one, but still based on outer space. Does Jared still say something incredibly intellectual sounding? No, Jared doesn't feature in this one, I don't think. Ah, okay. So, how are you surviving? Are you? Uh, do you, think- uh, you know what? It's a bit of a battle. I'm, I'm, I am surviving. I'm looking forward to the next bout of footy starting tonight. But yeah, it is a little bit. Um, it, it's more than Groundhog Day. It's a, it's testing, don't you find? Oh yeah, <laughs> well I found I found the last one pretty testing, and uh, yeah, look, it's just hard to get your head around the usual time references are gone, and uh, life is sort of one rolling uh, rolling uh, scrimmage, like a lot of the footy we've been watching. <laughs> That's actually a good term, good good way to define it. But it just yeah, days and weekends no longer matter so much. Seasons, years, decades. We're, we're caught in stasis, as science fiction fans would describe it, I guess, Rowan. But maybe football can define different days and different experiences. Well, I'll, I'll tell you this much, Barney. You would never describe this as a rolling scrimmage. You would describe this product as a rolling Beautiful concoction combining the best meat, vegetables, and uh, bread ingredients. And what am I talking about there? An Andrews hamburger, a, a, a beacon of quality, a reminder of better days past and better days to come. But you can have better days right here and now with a great Andrews hamburger, 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. Of course, you need to. Uh, be within the five kilometre radius for a delivery, I guess, or for a pickup. But plenty of people are. 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. A, a succulent reminder of the uh, the good old days before we entered this dystopian reality. Um, I'll, t- <laughs> I'll tell you what else we need reminding of, the good old days of home renovations. Well, they're continuing on as well because... Uh, I believe that there are rules governing the size of the build and how many builders you can have on site. And West Point Properties with Nick Bartels certainly fits within the 
uh, rules there. So if you are looking to maximise your land and you live within the southeastern Melbourne, inner southeastern Melbourne suburbs, then give them a call. West Point Properties, Nick Bartels. All right, uh, plenty to get through. We've got news, we've got uh, reviews, we've got previews, we've got everything you know and love about the Footyology podcast. Let's get into it. On Footyology, news feed. Right, well, let's start off the news agenda with uh, a story which, uh, well, we're, we're going to see a, a huge defining moment in one man's career this afternoon, as a matter of fact, when Essendon takes on Hawthorne in the first of two Thursday games. And one man, uh, scarcely seen on an AFL ground for a long time, makes his return to senior football. That man is Joe Danaher. And, uh, you know, sometimes there's a bit too much hype around uh, particular games for particular players. But I don't think it's pushing it this time to say this is a defining moment for him, having played 11 games over the last three years, uh, continual groin issues. He's had surgery. He's had trips to Ireland to see specialists. Uh, There's been issues about rehabilitation. His delay was... Sorry, his comeback was delayed by a calf strain. But finally, uh, the Dons have pulled the trigger and put Joe back into the side. How will he go? Uh, will he be there again after the end of his season? Uh, where's it at? Uh, it's a big moment for him, Finey. Huge moment for him. Huge moment for the club. I guess Sydney looks on as the interested third party, but... I just get a sense that if he can stand up over the next four games, I think that's what Essendon has left in the season, then almost Essendon will have first rights or or, or the first opportunity to re-sign him. Because I would have thought, with a medical history like he has, if Essendon was to come to Joe Danaher with a meaningful multi-year offer, he'd accept it. So I think Essendon has almost the first right of refusal, but a lot of that will be dependent on how the body stands up over the next, well, it's not four weeks, it's, what, two and a half weeks of football. Yeah, well, I suspect it's a little bit after that as well, because, I mean, if you remember his his last aborted comeback, um, you know, he actually played some sizzling footy for a, a couple of games, but it was how... He pulled up afterwards. That was the issue. What's interesting on the contract front is that there, there really hasn't been much talk at all about him staying at Essendon. I think the last thing we read on that front was uh, someone threw up the Brisbane suggestion a couple of weeks back. But uh, Jay Clark in the Herald Sun today has uh, mentioned that Nigel Carmody, Joe's manager, has uh, been having some you know informal talks with the club about potentially extending the deal um I've, I've got to say i not that i know anything more than anyone else but i've always felt like it was just as strong if not stronger a possibility than a move elsewhere and i wonder sometimes whether people just got a bit lazy with this one they heard all the talk about him trying to get to sydney and just thought oh well that'll happen 12 months down the track but a lot can change in in 12 months that 
number least, you know, as he has continued not to play, it's really decreased, I think, the premium on his services for another club. And it's probably made other clubs, well, not probably, definitely would have made other clubs a lot more wary about the value of investing so much in a guy who's played fewer than a dozen games in three years. Look, on, on the plus side for him staying at Essendon is exactly what you said, especially given that his suitor, Essendon, has their own long-term injury issues with the key forward in Lance Franklin, had the pretty well disastrous recruiting of Kurt Tippett, and even Sam Reid, who's in the team at the moment, is a problematic forward. So they need to work to their constituents, their members, and understand that Sydney supporters, Sydney members would be getting jack of, you know, the great white hope, to use the boxing definition, of uh, the big key forward that never comes. And they would, you know, they, you'd think that they'd almost be a little bit gunshot, wouldn't you, of recruiting a big key forward with injury problems. On the other hand, it is a year after they made the big play for Danaher, but that's a very big year because, of course, at the end of this season, Danaher becomes a free agent. So securing Joe Danaher becomes far easier than it was when they tried to do so during the last trade period. It's a bit of six of one, half a dozen of the other. How it plays out with Sydney remains to be seen. Well, I guess the other thing from the Swans' point of view is that the prospects of having Buddy Franklin as part of the equation have probably diminished uh, exponentially along the journey as well. I mean, he's got two seasons left on that contract, but uh, given that he hasn't played at all in 2020, uh, gee, you've got to really have severe doubts about whether he's going to get to the end of it, and that means uh, the search for a a premium key forward is uh, far more urgent than it was 12 months ago. So there's a few, there's a few uh, different factors to go into the mix, but uh, no doubt when Essendon step out this afternoon, all eyes will be on the big number six. Uh, number least Essendon fans who uh, got heartily sick of their side not being able to kick a decent score without much of a, a forward setup. So uh, we wish him well, and uh, I guess time will tell how he's going to pull up from that and uh, where he will be pulling on the boots next season. Uh, the other thing that's going on today is uh, the de or debate or discussion about where the AFL Grand Final will be held and South Australian government uh, lobbying the AFL today, the last of the interested parties to present their case. Uh, Premier Stephen Marshall will be Talking to Gil McLaughlin today, um, there I, I've seen some South Australian media organisations talking up the prospect. Uh, among other things, that they are talking about lifting the capacity during these socially distanced times from ten thousand to twenty five thousand. Um, there's some new, apparently a new hotel which can. Uh, in the offing, which can accommodate uh, quarantine sides more comfortably. Um, that may also help with the capacity. I've got to say that I've been quite surprised that in all the talk, the South Australian push has been so 
Uh, I don't know if they're doing it on the quiet or it's just been more reserved than either Western Australia or Queensland. But, I mean, it's a, a fantastic venue to redevelop Adelaide Oval. And I've only been lucky enough to be there a couple of times, but it is so good. And, uh, you know, a, a traditional football state, of course, Port Adelaide being a strong part of the, the mix also heightens its credentials, you would have thought. I've sort of been surprised that there hasn't been a stronger argument made for Adelaide Oval than um, the other two potential venues. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it is such a traditional football ground and uh, football state and such a beautiful venue, I agree, that it seems well-placed. If you believe Channel 9, I mean, Tom Brown seems uh, in his nightly reports convinced that it's going to be southeast Queensland, doesn't he? So uh, he certainly, in Channel 9, in their nightly news reports, seem to be uh, almost fait accompli that it's going to be a Gabba Grand Final, southeast Queensland hosting the finals. But well, hang on, is that is that in addition? Well, Tom Brown's Channel Seven. You mean Channel, oh, Channel 7? Seven? Sorry, Channel Seven. Oh, yeah. My apologies. Um, yeah, sorry, Tom Brown Channel Seven, and he's been positioned in Southeast Queensland. And I was watching his report only last night, and it seemed to fate and complete that we are going to have a final series held in Southeast Queensland. But the fact that it's been delayed a further week by Gil McLaughlin does suggest that. The decision has not been made, and South Australia are now a genuine runner in the race. Well, I believe that there is a significant push among media peers to actually keep Tom Brown domiciled in southeast Queensland indefinitely under some uh, bizarre quarantine regulation that uh, just keeps him away from Melbourne. What do you think of that one? I'm not buying into it, but if you've heard it, then it must be true, Rowan. No, sorry. I was being a bit cheeky. Um, yeah, look, it, it's for me, it still seems most likely that it's going to be at the Gabba, and I understand that. I must admit, the purist in me would prefer to see it in a traditional football state, but again, you know, it's not it's not a great year to be a traditionalist, given all the, the changes we've put up with, and I think, um, you know, I've sort of reconcile myself to things like night grand final and all this stuff because every you know everything's on the table given how many changes we've already seen this season um, I mean, that, that's important that is the other thing that um, tom brown did suggest and that was that uh, the gabba grand final would be a night grand final yeah, well, see, the other part of this equation too is the pre-finals buy, which it now looks like we're going to have the pre-finals buy again, in which case the grand final date would be put back to October 24th. That's the date of the Cox Plate. And uh, people putting two and two together there saying, well, if you know, you've got a major event like the Cox Plate on, why wouldn't you have the grand final at night so the two things don't clash? I sort of get that. I must say, though, I'm, I'm, I'm not a horse racing person, but I know the Cox Plate's big, but it's sort of a bizarre statement of how things have changed that the AFL would having, be having to, uh, you know, sort of adjust its priorities to work around the Cox Plate. A convenient excuse, really, yeah. for a night grand final. Remember, Mooney Valley is a race course that 
is um, able to have night racing. So they could just as easily have a nighttime Cox Plate as the AFL host a nighttime grand final. Very good point. And uh, yeah, look, I, I, it, it does worry me this. I'm pretty anti night grand final, and it's a very convenient excuse for both the broadcasters and the AFL who would be worried about the blowback to say, well, you know, we've got no choice. What about the uh, pre-finals? I'm not a big fan of the pre-finals by because I've worried about it sort of compromising all the hard work everyone does to get into a position of strength on the ladder leading up to the final series. Again, though, in a shortened season, I think it sort of that sort of counts for less. So uh, the pre-finals by itself, it's been in since 2016. Uh, we've seen four premierships decided by that. I, you know, I think most of us agree the Bulldogs got a pretty handy wig up with it that first year. Since then, though, um, yeah, it's sort of 50-50. I mean, the record of qualifying final winners coming a cropper in the preliminary final last year, Collingwood did, of course. So uh, I'll be watching those numbers with interest. But do you like? Do, do you feel strongly about the pre-finals by? I don't. I don't particularly, but it does seem counterintuitive that you have this football frenzy of what four games in per club in 20 days or something like that so we're we're seemingly rushed to finish the season and then we take a week off for a bye why do that why not just extend the season for a week and let these teams play out the year with more practical breaks between each game it seems crazy to rush four games and then stop for a whole week for a bye. Well, in uh, a lot of decisions that have been made over the last years, I've, I always felt that this one had the flimsiest premise and that was about uh, avoiding players, uh, rest, uh, clubs resting players on mass before final series. I mean, it happened in about three games over a, over a two or three year period. And uh, given that there's, you know, 200 odd played in a year. I, I thought it was a massive overreaction, and the consequences were uh, potential consequences were too serious for them to take that move. But like I said, I mean, you know, in terms of it impacting on sides that had finished top four and earned the right, the the results have been split about 50 50. So it's probably still too early to make any firm decisions on that. Having said that, I think even if it it showed definitively that. Uh, you know, qualifying final winners were unfairly disadvantaged because of the lack of footy they'd played. Uh, I'm not sure that would have any great impact on their decision anyway, sadly. Um, so anyway, we'll, uh, yeah, we'll await the grand final venue and the makeup and look of the finals uh, all will be revealed over the next week or so. Just to finish off the new segment, finally, I thought this is worth throwing up. Uh, we talked last episode about the fallout from the Robert Muir story and uh, the reactions to that. And, um, well, one of those reactions was yours. And uh, very fine piece, I might add, I thought, about the elephant in the room almost with this subject. And it was the, uh, your piece focused on the involvement of the Collingwood Football Club in quite a lot of these situations over the years. Um, 
I've got to say, I haven't even had a chance to speak to you about this, but the reaction to your piece yesterday, which is up on footyology.com.au, if you want to have a read, was massive. We had uh, the most traffic we've ever had on the site, in fact, yesterday. Uh, huge response on both Twitter and Facebook. Uh, most of it, I'm happy to say, pretty reasoned, even those disagreeing, and obviously a lot of Collingwood fans choosing to disagree. Um, uh, Facebook was its usual interesting mix of reasoned comment and absolute trolling garbage, which I waded through on your behalf. Um, yeah, well, uh, you should be. Uh, <laughs> you, you owe me. Uh, but uh, well, what was the reaction you've received from it? Well, I felt it was fairly measured, reasoned, and I was really taken by some of the Collingwood fans who, upon reading the catalogue of incidents that Collingwood have been involved in and the very interesting response of Heredia Lumumba to the Robert, Robert Muir article, um, sort of felt a little bit of, I don't know if the word shame with their own club's history, but were had their eyes open to their own club's history and, and might be demanding more of their club in the immediate future and in the future thereafter. Look, Collingwood is a very big football club, a big sporting organisation, and the spotlight does shine on them and it shines on them brightly. But there's no question that there has been a recurrent theme here. And I believe it stems back to a lack of Indigenous players over the period. And, you know, Victoria Park doesn't exist as an AFL ground anymore. There's still AFLW there, but a very different dynamic. Back when it used to be packed to the rafters, Collingwood just didn't have Indigenous footballers or footballers recognised as being Indigenous. And I think that lie lies at the at the root of what was a very hostile environment for Indigenous footballers to ply their trade from other clubs. And the situation wasn't helped by a president, Alan McAllister, whose words after the Winmar incident could only be taken as uh, almost sanctioning racist behaviour from the boardroom. And it all culminated in a fairly nasty period for the club that needs, I think it needs some sort of recognition and, and some sort of admission from the football club. Uh, you can't be everything you, you purport to be in terms of the biggest and the best without a warts and all look at your history. And I think we've almost got to that point for the Collingwood Football Club. I really believe we have. Yeah, well, no, well, it was a it was a fine piece. Uh, um, and on your last point, I, I think that's where we're at with the whole concept of Indigenous round. That uh, you know, we and I said this on Sunday. You know, unless we're prepared to confront the uncomfortable stuff, it's hard to see how we actually do learn and and move on and and uh, really enter some sort of meaningful reconciliation, not only with the Indigenous community but with our own past. Uh, all right, that is a news feed for this week. We've got one game to preview before we re uh, sorry, one game to review before we preview. Let's do that now. On Footyology, wrap around.
Okay, round 13 wrapped up last Monday evening um, and uh, wasn't a game for the ages, but uh, it was a game. So we owe it the same as all other games by giving it a decent sort of review. It resulted in a pretty comfortable 30-point win to Collingwood over North Melbourne. Final scores, 10-5-65, defeating the Roos, 5-5-35. North Melbourne scores in that last quarter. The goals, uh, two to Roscoe, Trey Roscoe for the Pies, singles the rest. And uh, all of North's five goals scored by different goal kickers. So just one multiple goal kicker in this entire game. Uh, it was, uh, well, it was close at halftime. Uh, Collingwood, five-point leaders at halftime. Third quarter was where they really broke away with uh, four straight to the Kangaroos, 2-1. And then two goals to the uh, Ruse, nothing in the final term. I've got to say, there was an exhibition of skill and attractive football. Uh, I wouldn't be showing this to anyone again, Finey. It was a real slog. The ball handling in particular was awful. And some of the decision-making and skill execution, particularly going inside 50 by both teams, was awful as well. However... Important win for the Pies. They have been absolutely knocked around on the injury front. Uh, Managed to scrape together a win, and uh, that leaves them still very much in contention in finals terms. How did you see this going? That was very funny. Your uh, summary of the game was almost perfect. Not a game for the ages, but it was a game. And that's about where this game will not be remembered. I reckon... Even within 12 months, you ask people to recall what happened in North Melbourne Collingwood and only sort of uh, strident fans of either team would be able to tell you much about the game. You know what I found interesting? You know, the new football dynamic of getting around your teammate. Yeah. I'm interested that it's now stretched to, well, it started really with, when a player kicked his first ever goal for the club, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it went to players who'd been on the sideline for a long time due to injury coming back, correct? Correct, yeah. Has it now stretched to players that are just in bad form and been dropped for six weeks? (laughs) Because they all got around Mason Cox. Yeah, And I don't quite... What's next? Getting around somebody who's had a bad quarter? Well, I think they're just looking for an excuse to get around someone in these socially distanced times. Finding <laughs> a little bit of a little bit of human contact. <laughs> I just found it funny. Let's get around Mason. He's playing shit house. <laughs> well, he did. He had his moments in this game. I thought it was uh, oh, cool. reasonably encouraging. Who was the North Melbourne player that tried to? Um, get around him. Um, uh, Bailey Scott. Uh, I think it was Jai Simpkin. Oh, Jai Simpkin, it was. Yeah. That was a good bit of play by the big fella. Look, the game was won in that third quarter by, and probably where you thought it'd be, it would be won, in the engine room with probably Pendlebury first, Adams and Sidebottom really imposing themselves on the game. Was it you who'd observed the improved output of Jed Anderson this year? I think it was you. 
Oh, well, he's been, you know, he's been good for a couple of seasons for him now, I reckon. He's a, a very important part of North Melbourne's midfield now. Yeah, look, I am rehashing somebody's observation. If he used the ball better, he'd be an elite midfielder. Mm. He's, he's got good ball-getting ability and great breakaway speed. Yeah, he's hard but, at it too. For a guy who's not, uh, you know, for a guy that's not necessarily that strongly built and physically yeah. imposing, he's very hard at it. He just needs to take almost a little bit like Adam Trelaw when he's in full flight. He just needs to take that one steadying step before he disposes the ball rather than kicking it at sort of maximum exit speed from a contest. Yeah. And, and that, I reckon, is something that North Melbourne can build on because, of course, you know, without Cunnington and Zeebel this year, they've really had to read craft a new midfield. So that's where they lost the game, to a classier midfield. Collingwood live on to fight another day. They certainly will look forward to welcome my check back into the forward line because even though Cox did show a bit, the Cox-Cameron combination is by no means a forward combination and my check will vastly improve that dynamic. So you're right, Collingwood stay alive, North Melbourne continue to look to players for the future. I think they'd be pretty happy with the plucky Jack Marnie. He came back after copping, you know, a nasty knock to the shoulder and looks like a game sort of small forward. Is it and just he, me or with, with Marnie? Because he, I think he's because a little bloke wearing number 35. But every time I see him, I immediately think of Troy Makepeace. <laughs> it's funny you should say. Now, that is something funny you should say. Because I, a couple of times, thought that's like that little sort of muscly nugget make piece. And I know he's not on the list, but yes, yeah, he absolutely resonates. He, he, he channels a little bit of Troy Makepeace, who wasn't a bad footballer. No, so, he, was, he was pretty handy. I, look, the key for Collingwood for me is the names in the best. Pendlebury, Adams, you know, Adams is hugely important to them. Side bottom there. And in defence, Darcy Moore, who I thought was offered some really handy rebound. North Melbourne's at an interesting stage here because, you know, as you rightly point out, they've been without arguably their two best players or two most important players, Cunnington and, and Zeebel. They have turned up some decent younger players. They're a bit up and down. I mean, Simkin is absolutely one of their best handful now. I mean, wasn't a great night for Nick Larky. I thought he sort of showboated a bit and got himself into trouble. But, um, you know, they're, they're not without decent young prospects. We've seen Davies Uniac sort of is imposing himself on games a bit more. I, you know, I, for me, it's a long-standing thing. This The critical observations of North always appear more gloomy than the reality is, I think. But, uh, you know, I, I don't think they're future is as grim as some people would have you believe. I think what they do have is a a bigger number of young players to go on with than they had at the start of the season. I'm not saying that they've got that they've established three or four players that are going to be 200 game players for them but they've certainly broadened the um, options going into the trade period and draft period for setting up a list next year that Reece Shaw can build for the future with. 
Even Tristan Zeri seems promising, took that nice one-handed grab. So they've certainly, um, from tall players right down to smalls, got more to choose from than at, than at the start of the year. Yep, absolutely. And uh, the Pies, uh, meanwhile, still very much in finals calculations. Okay, that is uh, round 13 done and dusted. Time to preview a big round 14, which kicks off almost straight away. On Footyology, previews with Punch. All right, round 14 kicks off with the traditional Thursday doubleheader. Uh, I jest. Uh, but two games on Thursday to kick us off. Hawthorne taking on Essendon at 4.10pm in Adelaide, of course. And uh, Richmond West Coast, Thursday, 7.10pm at Metricon Stadium. Let's start with Hawthorne and Essendon, those great rivals of the 1980s. Three changes for Essendon, and they're fairly significant ones. Into the side, Joe Danaher, as discussed earlier in this show. Uh, into the side, also significant, Kale Hooker, a welcome return to that defence, and another ruck change with Andrew Phillips coming into the equation. Out is Tom Bell Chambers, injured, of course, had to be injured or managed, never omitted. Out, injured, uh, Aaron Francis with a hamstring, and out, curiously, for a second time in about three weeks, managed Sam Draper. For the Hawks, coming into the equation, uh, some experience with Jack Gunston and Jonathan Segler. Darren Minchington also in, out for the Hawks. Uh, skipper Ben Stratton, who's been managed, and Sean Burgoyne and Jarman Impey. Um, gee, Finey, uh, this isn't a game where you, you're using form as any reliable indicator because uh, they have none to speak of either of these teams. In fact, uh, the Bombers have now won one of their last seven and Hawthorne have won one of their last eight. So it could be a case of the, the least worst team winning this one. What do you think is going to happen in this game? I, this game is a magnificent opportunity to test out a well-worn phrase that has been glibly thrown around when these two teams play for the last 30 years. No oh, matter where they are on the ladder? No matter where they are, when this game is played or where they're played, these two teams really turn it on. Well... Whoever said that in the past 30 years, did they ever imagine 4.40 on a Thursday afternoon in Adelaide? Oh, this is really going to test out that that um, epithet. Well, and especially given that both teams are not in great form and probably have waved goodbye to playing finals this year in any realistic manner, even though Essendon still have a slight sniff. The one thing that brings this game back into the spotlight is Joe Danaher. We've mentioned that earlier in the broadcast. I'm really interested to see how he goes. What on earth is going on with Sam Draper? The only thing that needs that much management must be his rather unusual hairdo because he seems to be perfectly physically capable every time he takes the field. And he's actually casting a big shadow. So I consider that a big loss for the Bombers. Look, I'm going to go with Essendon. I think, and I'm being hopeful more than uh, for any other reason 
um, definitive in that Joe Danaher really improves the look of the team. So we're doing that in good faith. But he does really, you know, doesn't that team read better now with Danaher in the side? McKernan becomes a complementary figure down the forward line. Stringer becomes a dangerous forward option. You've got, you've really, for mine, got the sort of combination there. Devin Smith, is he playing his 100th game in this game, Devin? I'm not sure. I think it might be a little milestone for Dev. Uh, all in all, I believe Vesterman's forward line far more dangerous and certainly more exciting with Joe Danaher than Hawthorne. So I'm tipping the Bombrays. Yeah, I, I am too, not with any degree of confidence. I guess one thing for either side, they were both uh, a fair bit better last week than previously. Essendon in that uh, 12-point loss to Richmond, which should have been probably a fair bit more, but they hung around Essendon. And uh, Hawthorne, you know, reasonably impressive, even in defeat against Port Adelaide. And uh, I guess uh, get some acclimatisation there to the venue, which will help them. But, uh, yeah, look, I think I will say this in a, um, a serious uh, context of the no matter where they are on the ladder, I still think despite current circumstances, Hawthorne would still take plenty of pleasure in upsetting Essendon's finals apple cart. If it isn't already tipped over, it will be well and truly if they don't win this one. So um, that'll give them a little bit of motivation perhaps. But... Uh, yeah, look, not a game uh, recommended uh, by, you know, if you want to see the the best of football played by two informed teams at the top of their game, because it's certainly not the case. Uh, however, for us crusty old veterans of the uh, of the 80s, it might, uh, we might shed a sentimental tear or two. Uh, I'm going for the Bombers as well, but only uh, very, very narrowly. Rowan, just before we say goodbye to that game, are we about to say goodbye to Sean Burgoyne and his magnificent career? Uh, yeah, it's an interesting point. Of course, uh, being managed out of this game. Um, well, yeah, you have to think so. He really has struggled a bit this season, hasn't he? And uh, what an amazing career it's been. Uh, yeah, quite possible. I guess we, we see how he's used over the last month of the season. But um, I think that could be very much on the cards. All right, uh, the second game on Thursday. Now, this really is a bumper game. We've had a few potential grand final previews already this season, but I reckon this is the most legit yet. And it brings together Richmond and West Coast, the two official flag favourites. Metricon Stadium, 7.10pm. Uh, boy, this is a hard one to tip. Eagles have now won, what is it, nine games or eight games in a row. Uh, Richmond uh, had a hiccup against Port Adelaide, but otherwise going along, doing their business pretty effectively. You know, I'll tell you one interesting thing about this one, Finey, and I wrote a piece about this for Australian Community Media. Do you know that Richmond versus West Coast since, or in the last decade, is the equal least played match in AFL uh, roster terms? They have played... Ooh. They have played only once every year since 2010. What a good pickup by yourself, Rowan. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how I stumbled across that one. But um, and uh, last time, of course, was round 22 last year, and it was a great game at the MCG, which the Tigers in the wet, which the Tigers won by just a goal. Uh, their scoreline over the last 
last uh, few years is uh, dead set level, 5-5 five, five over those last 10 meetings. Each uh, team has won three games at home against the other and two on the road. This one's at a neutral venue. And really, in a lot of ways, as teams, I find them hard to split too. Both got very potent forward setups with great key forwards, you know, Lynch and Rewalt for the Tigers, uh, Kennedy and Darling for the Eagles, both with really good ground-level forwards as well, both with star-studded midfields, you know, Martin, Cochin, uh, Wambit for the Tigers, for the Eagles, uh, Sheed, Shuey, uh, et al. Um, Kelly. You... Yeah, go on. Kelly. Oh, yeah, he's pretty handy, isn't he? I knew there was one I'd forgotten. Um, <laughs> how do you reckon this one's going to pan out? It's a little ripper, isn't it? This is what they... Do you remember the sign out front of the Ritz on the corner of Fitzroy Street and St Kilda Road? Uh, I don't. Oh, Fitzroy Street. It was Fitzroy Street. And, yeah, I can't remember what the intersection was. They had a big sign saying, Tits, this is the show. <laughs> okay. And this is the show, this one. This is the big one for the season because, I mean, you've, you've certainly said it way before I did, Rowan, that these are the two most likely premiership um, grand finalists and premiership contenders coming to the last game of the season. And I'm now on board with you. And the fact is that they meet at the perfect time of the year because Richmond are not guaranteed a top four spot and West Coast likewise even with those consecutive victories, now return back to southeast Queensland where their season started quite poorly. So it's a very big game in the context of positioning these two teams for a tilt at the premiership. It's a great game. And, yeah, go on, keep going. You know, it's got all the, the promoter, a promoter for this heavyweight bout would have no problems um, sort of, uh, writing the writing the script to get the ticket sales up. Yeah, I, I was, yeah, yeah, go on. Sorry, yeah. go on, go on. No, 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 no. I'm happy for your take on that. Uh, well, I was just, uh, I was thinking, uh, gee, they've thrown Toby Nankervis in the deep end, haven't they? He comes not only comes back into the side, he's got to come back into the side up up against Nick Natanui, who is just in that good of form. Um, so uh, tough ass for him. I think one thing either side would be concerned about uh, for the Eagles, it's probably how they react to going back into a hub. Of course, they've had six games at home in a row and now all of a sudden they're back in the place where the season started pretty disastrously for them with three losses in that first quarantine period. Uh, Richmond, I had a look at the numbers for Richmond and they're not ticking over as well. And I was trying to work out sort of where where was that exactly? Basically, they're creating this same amount of turnovers that they usually do, uh, that fierce pressure on uh, oppositions coming out of their defence. What they aren't doing is converting that to scores and their ranking at the moment is uh, dramatically lower to what it was last year. It's something like they've gone from third to 14th or something. And I think uh, oppositions are setting up better against them. Um, and that's a factor. I think Richmond's inefficiency is also clearly a factor, so they'll be very keen to get that right. Look, I, I really, in the end, for me, the decisive tipping factor is probably the, the location, and the fact that, look, the Eagles ended up winning the last two games whilst they are in that Queensland hub, 
So they did get used to it, but I'm, I just worry a bit that after six games at home, travelling across the continent, acclimatising to a new home, uh, you know, subconsciously the memories of how last time started. Uh, Richmond, on the other hand, you know, have been thereabouts geographically. Uh, and I think that they're probably ready to deliver a, a souped up performance. So I'm going for the Tigers, but very narrowly. Yeah, I'm going to go for the Eagles. I Those statistical um, problems you've pointed out for the Tigers in that they are creating turnover but not taking advantage of them, uh, lay bare. They're very obvious when you watch them play that they are just not clicking into gear forward of centre. And we saw it against Essendon. We've seen it in recent weeks where they're just not making the most of opportunities and their forward line doesn't seem as functional as it used to be. Now, Jack Rewalt, there were some concerns with his knee in the game against Essendon. He's going to come up against a pretty stern test with with West Coast's um, well-organised defence. And probably where you started this um, second part of your discussion, how difficult it's going to be for Nan Curvis is where I start my selection for the West Coast because he is a monster in the ruck. Nick Natanui, we saw that first quarter recently where he not only got the ball, he got more centre clearances than anybody. It was almost like the 14-year-old playing in the under-11 game in the schoolyard, you know, bigger boy just dominating. And we've got every reason to believe that that could happen tonight against Richmond. And I'm tipping West Coast on the back of uh, first port of call domination from big man Nat Nui down to that talented midfield. No, it's certainly a fair enough tip. So uh, you're going the Eagles, I'm going the Tigers. Let's hope it is the game uh, it uh, purports to be. I think every chance it will be an absolute ripper. All right, let's move on to Friday evening, back at Metricon Stadium, 7.50pm, and it is the Western Bulldogs v Geelong. How do you see this one panning out, Finey? Another ripping game. It's the acid test, really, for the Bulldogs, and in a way for Geelong, who've... um, you know, it was so impressive in those wins over St Kilda and Port Adelaide, much less so in their win over Adelaide, but they got the job done. And, of course, Bulldogs starting to get some momentum now with Norton back in the side and looking like the sort of team that can not only make the finals, but can actually make some things happen in the finals. You know, if you have a look at the possible finalists coming from a group of the Bulldogs, Giants, Collingwood, Carlton, Essendon even. I think of that group, the way they are playing at the moment, the Bulldogs offer most interest once the finals begin. Uh, Can they beat the Cats? Cats ultra-professional in their recent victories? I say yes. I think Bulldogs have just got enough momentum. And we've said before that Geelong's the issue with Geelong is not how good they are at their best. It, it's really their um, their highs and lows are quite disparate. And I saw against Adelaide just that tendency of going back into their shell and chipping the ball around that makes them a nervous commodity when things aren't going their way. So 
I'm going to lob for the dogs here to keep their momentum going and score a surprise victory over the Cats. What do you reckon, right? Oh, it's a, yeah, that's a brave selection. Um, but I, I understand the logic behind it. Uh, there's a couple of interesting observations here. One is, um, if you believe in, you know, sort of long-standing dominations of one team over another, well, until the last couple of years, you would always tip Geelong. In fact, the Cats won, uh, by my reckoning, 11 straight against the Western Bulldogs. But the Bulldogs have won two of the past three, only narrowly, uh, but the last meeting they won, that was at Docklands last year, 16 points. They also have beaten the Cats by two points. My other uh, note of caution uh, in terms of coming up against the Bulldogs is this. They were, they were really impressed. I did a uh, footyology match dispatch on that game last week between they and Melbourne. And that third quarter, gee, it was impressive. So I'd say this about the Bulldogs. They're not as hard to stop uh, for oppositions as some other teams that are more highly credentialed. However, if they're not stopped, I think they're allowed to play the sort of game that can really cause everyone enormous trouble. And it certainly did Melbourne. And it's all generated by that run coming off half back. And in that third quarter um, burst of six unanswered goals, they were just ticking over beautifully. And it was the run off half back provided by uh, Williams, by Crozier, by Caleb Daniel. Um, poor old Caleb Daniel. Every time I almost call him Caleb Bond, who's a particularly annoying little right-wing commentator for News Corp. So I won't do that to you, Caleb. Caleb Daniel. But that runoff halfback was just sensational. And uh, some decent targets up forward now with Aaron Norton particularly. So, you know, once they get on a roll, they're pretty difficult to stop. The Cats, however, gee, pretty hard to tip against them at the moment. I, you know, I think they, they have been in pretty peerless form, particularly those smashings of both Port Adelaide and St Kilda had lookout written all over them. In terms of personnel... Uh, I think there's a fair chance they get uh, both Joel Selwood, uh, Selwood and Zach Tui back this week. So that's obviously a huge boost for them. I think this could be a really entertaining game. It'd be interesting if, if, to see if the Cats try to shut down the doggies or take them on. They do tend to do the shutdown, the shutdown uh, jobs on opposition that's in a decent spot. So... You know, it could be one where the cats try to just really limit the dogs and do enough themselves at the other end. And uh, their defence is just in terrific form this season. I am going for the cats, but uh, again, only narrowly. I think this could be a round full of really tight finishes. But Geelong for me on that one. So we differ on that one as well. All right, uh, let's move to Saturday. And the first game on the Saturday menu is back at Adelaide Oval. It is 1.15 local time, 1.45 Australian Eastern Standard Time. It is Port Adelaide versus Sydney. And uh, pretty hard to see this one resulting in anything other than a Port Adelaide victory, Finey. No, Sydney, unfortunately, we know that they've just had so many injuries throughout the season. They really, they looked a spent force against Fremantle, albeit the, the game after a very good win against GWS. So their form does waver and Port Adelaide are not playing their best football, but 
at home with uh, everything to play for from the top of the ladder, uh, they'll find a way. Be hook or be crook, Port Adelaide for mine. Yeah, it's got to be Port, I think. Uh, look, I mean, the Swans, a fantastic win uh, two weeks ago over GWS, but then held to just two goals last week against Fremantle. And that was that was their lowest score in 49 years, believe it or not. Uh, boy, they've had some some pretty uh, dour sort of scraps with the Dockers in the last couple of years. And again, you know, that lack of firepower up front, it's just hard to see where it comes from. Port also looked like getting uh, a pretty handy trio of inclusions back in the mix by way of Connor Rosie, uh, Ryan Burton and Todd Marshall. So uh, Rosie particularly, you'd expect to see them ticking over a little more seamlessly than they did in a, at times, spluttering sort of win over Hawthorne last week. Uh, indeed, one that was in doubt until literally the last minute when Zach Butters swooped in on that lovely tap from Scott Lysette. But uh, I think this is one where the power sort of cranked back up into a fair bit of form. Impossible to tip against them. So Port Adelaide for me as well as Finey. All right, the second game on Saturday is at Optus Stadium in Perth, 2.35 local time, 4.35 on the east of the country. It is Fremantle against GWS, Finey. What happens here? Yeah, uh, Fremantle were pretty good, weren't they, against uh, Sydney. And GWS, an improved performance in their showing against the West Coast Eagles, definitely an improved effort from their loss to Sydney, it really pictures them as a fairly even match. I'm going to go for Fremantle in this one. I just think that here's a side that are, at the moment, certainly over in the West, enjoying their football, enjoying their new coach, enjoying their spread of talent. As you've pointed out early on in the season, I was very hot on stop Fife, stop Walter, stop Fremantle, but given the great form of Luke Ryan, the emergence of Sarong, the consistent form of Tabena, and plenty of others who are doing a good shift of work when they play, I think Fremantle have got a fairly even spread of talent. GWS, well, you know, if there was ever a must-win game to keep the season alive, this is it. And probably a lot of people will think they've got the talent just to... um, pull together and get that result. But I don't think that they've got a switch that turns on and off that readily to join. So I think that they're a a difficult side to pick in terms of when they're on, when they're not on. And that inconsistency, I think, lays them vulnerable to what I now consider one of the more consistent teams in the AFL. Yes, Fremantle. Uh, Yeah, it's it's interesting you say that because... Funnily enough, I actually think GWS does have a switch that can flick on and off, and and it doesn't seem it will. But what I mean is, I think that they, more than most teams, are capable of having a shocker and then coming out and having a really good one. And I guess what sticks in my mind is the back end of last year where they you know, had those two absolutely dismal losses to Hawthorne and the Western Bulldogs, 10 goals each and kept goal loss for a half. 
they came out the following week and destroyed Gold Coast by 70-something points, as you'd probably expect. But they then parlayed that into three outstanding finals wins, including smashing the Bulldogs, not, you know, two weeks after having been smashed by the Bulldogs. So um, I guess I look at how they finished off that game against West Coast. Now, that was a game that West Coast had in control pretty much for most of it. But the last quarter, uh, the Giants really, you know, the Giants scored more in the last quarter than they had for the first three. And they just started to move the footy with a bit of smoothness again. Fremantle, no doubt, really strong defensive side. In fact, I think they're um, third in terms of fewest points conceded this year. And that is an amazing effort for a team that uh, is sits on the ladder where they do. But even that ladder position is pretty deceptive too, isn't it? I mean, had it not been for um, Jack Nunes the other week, we'd be talking about the Dockers in terms of a side that had won six of its last eight games. So, you know, they have been nothing less than competitive. They're, they're, in fact, their heaviest losing margin all season is 32 points. So they've been remarkably consistent under Justin Longmuir. No matter how this season ends, they will have come out with a lot of positives. GWS, look, I might be a bit, maybe I'm a bit out of date here, but I, I still have visions of them just being able to turn it on and pull out a belter of a performance. So I look at that last quarter last week and think, yeah, there's something fairly ominous about that. Uh, I guess they've had a, a good look at the ground now too. So perhaps the venue doesn't present the bogey that it once might have. And as you say, a bit of last chance saloon about it for them too. Absolutely need a win to have uh, any hope of staying in the uh, finals mix. And after having made finals now the last four years, that's an essential this part in their development. So I'm going for GWS here. This is my turn-up, if indeed it is a turn-up. This is my turn-up of the round, but I'm going for them by just two points, Finey. So we differ on this one as well. Yeah, we're not uh, stepping in. in any. Yeah, tonight, are we? Uh, for uh, Today, are we? So, mate, remember last time we did this, we had six different and we split it three each. We did. It may happen again. All right, uh, Saturday evening, uh, Melbourne takes on St Kilda in, where else, but Alice Springs. Uh, now, that is a venue at which the Demons have played a few times now. Pretty sure the Saints haven't played there for any. They've played in a lot of other interesting places, your team, but I'm pretty sure they haven't played in Alice Springs. Never for premiership points, and I don't think even a practice game. So, no, a new venue. Well, go on, take it up. They're your team. I want you to lead the charge. I think they can beat Melbourne. Uh, look, Melbourne have shown a little bit in the last few weeks, but to be honest, there still is a fragility about the Melbourne side that uh, it's a soft underbelly that I think a serious team with genuine, fi genuine finals aspirations, as St Kilda is, as St Kilda showed they are, against Brisbane. You know, that game against Brisbane was a real hard-fought slog, wasn't it? And could have gone either way in the finish. St Kilda, a little bit unlucky with a couple of shots just missing the mark at the end of the game. But then again, fortunate that... Brisbane had not kicked accurately and probably put them away in the third quarter. But it was a real slog. It had that final feel about it. And I just think that 
hard-edged football, really from contest to contest, hard fought by Brisbane and St Kilda, is not the type of football that Melbourne can withstand. And St Kilda have shown, for the better part of the season, capable of playing that good competitive football and still have a dangerous forward line to capitalise on the opportunity. So I just think the harder team, the team more likely to go deeper into the game, contest by contest, and really slug it out, if need be, is St Kilda, and that's why I'm tipping them. Yeah, I, I agree. A couple of things on this. Uh, really worried by Melbourne's, uh, not just the way they drifted out of that game last week, but just the lack of defensive pressure they were prepared to apply. And I'm, I'm pointing the finger I, more. Go yeah, on. I think I think capitulation is almost a fair description of what they did in that third quarter, Rob. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm pointing the finger more at their forward set up here than the midfield because they, they just allowed the Bulldogs to catapult that ball off half-back way too easily. And uh, that spells trouble against St Kilda. I think the other area where they might be really up against it is just purely from that league speed and ball movement point of view. And this is where St Kilda looks particularly good. I, I reckon one man who might well be the key to this game is Brad Hill uh, because if he gets out in some space on a wing... Not sure Melbourne's got anyone capable of preventing him. Ed, look, Ed Langdon's played some decent footy for the Demons, but would he be up to, uh, and in fact, taking on his former teammate, uh, Brad Hill? That would be an interesting sort of lockdown job, but probably one in which Melbourne would sacrifice as much as a game by shutting Hill down. So I just think league speed's an issue here. I think, uh, look, Stephen May was really good for the Demons last week, so it'll be interesting to see how he shapes up uh, given the job on either King or Membry. You suspect probably King. Um, but, yeah, I think the Saints, as you say, good good tune-up, really. They didn't win the game, but um, certainly a really tough, dour struggle, which would have sharpened them from a defensive point of view. Uh, and Melbourne, unfortunately, look, we know they can play some good footy, but are they prepared to go hard enough for long enough. Uh, I'm not convinced they are. So, look, even though... And I think the venue is a factor here, too. I mean, Melbourne has some experience here. The Saints don't. But I think that's something that the Saints can overcome on the cusp of their first finals uh, appearance in a finals campaign since 2011. They win this one, and you just about have to lock them away for finals. So it's a a big uh, opportunity for them to really cement that final spurt. Um, and also, for that and also reason, I, yep. And don't forget, they welcome back the pretty important Hunter Clark as well. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, the absolute cool customer off the halfback line is. But for all those reasons, uh, St Kilda for me as well. So that is one on which we agree. And we move to Sunday now. Uh, two games on Sunday, of course, uh, eight games in this round, two teams having a bye. But uh, you mentioned it earlier in this set of previews, no matter where they are on the ladder. Now, this is the game we traditionally say that the most about because for two supposed great rivals, these two haven't turned on many memorable clashes for a long time now. But this one has a bit more spice than most with Collingwood, needing to keep winning to stay in the eight and Carlton 
with a golden opportunity here to stay in contention and stuff up not only another contender, but an arch rival. So Carlton Collingwood at the Gabba, Sunday, 3.35 p.m. Finally, what happens here? Isn't this a beauty? This is finally a meaningful game between Carlton and Collingwood. And we grew up with these two being the archest of uh, traditional rivals, didn't we? With big crowd support and Carlton Collingwood games were eaten a bit. They have been diluted over recent years, but this is a great, you've summed it up perfectly or previewed it perfectly. Great opportunity for Carlton to not only continue their push for an unlikely spot in the finals, but to do so at the expense of Arch Rifles Collingwood. Uh, to be honest, a bit gutless here, but I'd rather see the teams before I made a pick. Uh, there's a few ins and outs that could be very telling. I'm going to go with the Magpies. Even though Carlton have a heck of a lot of momentum going into this game and would be cock-a-hoop at the opportunity to take on and best their rivals, I'm assuming Myshek comes back into the team. I think that makes for a better forward line. I think Collingwood's midfield, who performed well against North Melbourne in the second half against Carlton, might just be steady enough to handle the Blues. Darcy Moore in the back line will have the job, I think, on Harry Mackay. And all of a sudden, Harry's opponent becomes upgraded because Darcy's one of the best defenders in the competition. And you know what? Unless they can get a big lift from Patrick Cripps, who hasn't been in career best form in the recent weeks, in fact, for the entire season. So unless he really turns it on, I think Collingwood can answer most of Carlton's uh, challenges, extinguish most threats and win the game. Collingwood for mine. Yeah, uh, same for me. Uh, the reason being, uh, look, I think, you know, not unusually, this one comes down to the midfield. This is where it gets decided, I think. And if Carlton can win not only a reasonable amount of ball out of the middle, but get it inside 50 at a reasonable clip, I think Collingwood, that could really put Collingwood in a bit of trouble given the uh, marking talents of uh, Mackay and Casbolt, two of the best, I reckon, two of the best sets of hands going around in the caper. So quick delivery down there, I think, would really make life pretty tough for the likes of Darcy Moore. But in terms of winning that midfield contest, it's pretty hard to think that Collingwood wouldn't emerge on top. You mentioned Cripps. Look, he hasn't been outstanding this season. Uh, the Blues have, have still performed pretty adequately in the midfield. Ed Kernow, uh, he's a bit of a wonder, Ed Kernow. He just goes on. He sort of keeps on keeping on. You think he probably should be winding down at this stage of his career, but he just uh, is incredibly consistent for him. I think Mark Murphy's played some wonderful footy this year as well. So uh, not without some hope there, but you know we talked about the best in Collingwood's win over North Melbourne. Sidebottom, Adams, Pendlebury. You know, it's a pretty handy troika, even without uh, someone like Trelaw there. Uh, I think it's enough to win them that all-important midfield duel, not to mention Brody Grundy in the ruck. Pretty handy man to have directing the ball to them. Uh, and about I think time, About time Grundy had a bit more influence in the game, though. I, I don't think he's quite stamped himself on the season as he would have liked. So here's an opportunity against... Lesser opposition um, to really make his, you know, 
re, re stamp himself as one of the competition's best ruckmen. How do you see his season? No, it's been a lot more subdued, no doubt about that. I think um, for me, it's as, with him, it's as much about what he has done or hasn't done around the ground. He just doesn't seem to have had that same commanding presence around the ground as well as uh, at the hitouts. And interestingly too, I think the Pies midfield do, quite often sort of doesn't take enough advantage of his winning ruck work. So that would be a key for them as well. But do you, yeah. think the, do you think the shorter quarters have dulled his effectiveness? Because Grundy is a real powerhouse grinder with a great engine. So shorter quarters might not have served him that well. No, no, potentially. No, I think that's a pretty good observation, actually. And certainly, I mean, when you look at some sides, like, for instance, the Bulldogs last week for stages had Josh Dunkley in the ruck. You know, with shorter quarters, you're probably able to get away with that longer than you otherwise might. So, yeah, no, that could that could definitely have been a factor, I think. Uh, yeah, just a, a little bit of extra class and experience for me, tipping the wedge of Collingwood's way. But, you know, we've seen the Blues do some terrific stuff this season. Who's to say they couldn't produce it again against their arch rival and we'll finish this game off by just using that cliche again, no matter where they are on the ladder. All right, uh, final game of round 14, and it comes on Sunday at Metricon Stadium, 6.10pm. It is Gold Coast against North Melbourne. Not exactly a blockbuster to finish the round off, let's be honest. But uh, interesting nonetheless for where these two teams both are. Now, the usual doom and gloom about the Roos, they've won only three games this season. Uh, have been competitive in plenty of their losses. They've had a couple of shockers as well. But, uh, you know, they pushed Brisbane pretty close last week. Uh, I think lately they haven't been too bad. Gold Coast is the more interesting one, Finey, because I've said this a bit now, there's no doubt they are a far more competitive unit than they were last year. And, in fact, I had a look at their losing margins last year as opposed to this year, and, Last year, they completely fell apart at the end of a season of their last, I think it was five games. They lost three of their last five games by 90-odd points and another couple by 70-odd points. Their average losing margin last year was something like 47 points. Well, that's been whittled back even now to uh, about half that, you know, 24, 25 points per defeat. Uh, what troubles me is just that they continue to not get over the line and they're a lot less competitive last week in that loss to Carlton, 33 points the margin in the end. And for all the improvement and for all the talent that we've seen wheeled out, you know, by uh, Rankin and Anderson and earlier in the season, Matt Rowell, um, they're actually only one win further advanced this year than they were at the same, same stage last year. So they need a win. Uh, to underscore that continued improvement. And uh, I think this is the game where they get it at home uh, and against the North Melbourne side, which, yeah, really doesn't have a lot to play for now, does it? You know, those blowouts suffered by Gold Coast last year, I think a lot of them came, especially uh, in the second half, as they just completely fell away in, in games of football. So maybe the shorter games this year 
are masking a little bit in terms of margins for Gold Coast as well. They do not want to finish with that same lack of wins on the board as they have the past two seasons. That would be really disappointing. Yeah, it would. So what's your tip? Yeah, look, I want to tip them. I want to tip the Gold Coast, but I'm going to tip North Melbourne. I really believe North Melbourne have a win or two left in them in the season. I just think that they've got they're, – they're sort of up and about for it. I thought their first half against Collingwood was much better than anything I saw Gold Coast do against Carlton. So on that – and, of course, you know, they, they ran uh, – the game before was at Port Adelaide to one point. So – you know, Brisbane. Uh, Brisbane, sorry, to one point, Brisbane. So their form is is creditable. And I just, I, I don't know, it's a gut feel, but I think that North Melbourne are, are a little bit more upbeat about this final football fiesta than Gold Coast are. Gold Coast, to me, look to really be limping to the line. So uh, a more um, energetic North Melbourne to beat the Gold Coast. All right, we differ again. So by my account, eight games, uh, we have tipped differently in four of them, which means that we will both end up with four for the round is my final. We're going to split them again, are we? I think so. That tends to be how it works. Um, Haven't necessarily covered ourselves in glory on the tipping front this year. Uh, all right, that is round 14 duly previewed. And uh, by the time we speak to you again, it'll be done and dusted on Sunday and we'll bring you a full review of that. Quick shout out to our wonderful sponsors, Finey. Uh, the magnificent Andrews Burgers. I can see that the uh, morning haze has lifted in Melbourne to a bright sunny day. And I would love an Andrews hamburger for lunch. 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. Not impossible that I make a beeline. And, of course, Nick's Bartels West Point Properties for the best in property rebuilds in the southeastern Melbourne suburbs. Make the most of your land and maximise it with a West Point property rebuild. Thank you to our wonderful sponsors. Uh, thank you to you, our audience. But we're hoping to actually see you again this evening. We're recording this on Thursday morning, of course, tonight. Footyology Final Siren live on Twitter. That's my Twitter feed, Rowan underscore Connolly. Tune in and uh, send us all your questions and comments via the Periscope app. Uh, We will be on after the second week of that double header. Richmond West Coast kicking off at 7.10, finishes 9.30. I reckon we'll be on about 9.45. Check your local guides for details, but that is the anticipated Starting time. It's a lot of fun, the show, if you haven't tuned in. So check it out. We'll uh, go through both games in uh, vast detail and take all your questions and comments. And please uh, visit both the Footyology website. Like I said, that great piece of findings on the culture at Collingwood and racism in footy. And also please visit our Patreon page and become an official Footyology patron because uh, we value your support we need your support to keep this operation going but the response thus far to our expansion and the various projects we're doing has been absolutely wonderful so thank you all for your support and i'm being totally serious here it is very very much appreciated thanks for your company 
Uh, we'll see at Footyology Final Siren tonight. If we don't, we'll hear you on the, uh, or you'll hear us on the podcast on Sunday. Uh, have a great rest of the week and weekend, everyone. Hope your team has a good win. We'll see you later. 